Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It is the Bill Handel Show. Bill recovering from heart surgery. Morning Crew is here. Some of the top stories we're following for you at KFI. Uh, LAUSD students returning to classes today, and uh, everybody's going to be wearing a mask, or at least they're supposed to be wearing a mask. Social distancing, and they'll have to undergo weekly coronavirus testing as well, including a baseline test before they can even show up today. So there were long lines at these uh, testing sites in the last few days. And also the death toll from that 7.2 magnitude earthquake in Haiti is up to almost 1,300, at least 5,700 people injured. And Afghanistan is an unmitigated mess right now. The Taliban very quickly took over Basically, the entire country. They're in Kabul now. They say they're going to, they want to peacefully negotiate a transfer of power from the putative government of Afghanistan to them, the Taliban. Notice they're not saying we want to peacefully negotiate a power sharing arrangement or we want to peacefully negotiate maybe dividing up. The country, like, we'll have part of the country, will become our thing, and then the rest of it will leave to the to the regular civil government. Oh, no, 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 no. They're, they're, this is them trying to be, I guess, nice guys. Like, look, you know we're going to take over the whole country, including the capital. You know we're going to be the government of this country. And, hey, we're going to try to be cool about it and not kill all of you. Peaceful negotiation for a transfer of power here means how fast can you get us a set of keys before we start murdering all of you? Okay, that's what's going on in the meantime. um, We were going to leave our embassy open there. We're not now. They're clearing it out. They're destroying all kinds of documents and computers and what have you. And it's a frantic push to evacuate uh, Americans out of there, as well as various uh, Afghan people who helped the, you know, our government and our efforts to bring some stability to that country. And if you turn on any news channel, you'll at some point soon enough see a video of these big transport planes taxiing down the runway and all these people running alongside the planes, hoping to jump on board like uh, like you know, steamer tramps running next to a train trying to hop on because they want out of that country. So 
There's a lot of finger pointing going on. In fact, uh, in the next segment, ABC News correspondent from Washington, Faith Abube, is going to be here to talk about who's pointing what fingers at who. There's apparently plenty of blame to go around. Nobody wants to take responsibility for this happening. And nobody anticipated that this would happen this quickly with this little resistance from the Afghan army. You know, we were told, hey, there's 300,000 troops in the uh, army of Afghanistan, including elite special forces. Also, they have an air force. So the Taliban can't possibly win. But they forgot something. Or they, or they, they didn't know it, or they knew it and forgot it, or they knew it and they just like... Like that receipt that you crumple up and you stick it in your pants and you never think about it again until later when you've done your laundry and you pull your pants out and you go, oh, look at this wad of disgusting paper that was in my pocket. And that is this. This is the fact. The fact is that that country was non-functional. Police officers were not being paid. Towns had no electricity. Even though they had generators, they had an infrastructure in place, it wasn't operating. So here's what the Taliban did. They would show up. Hey, what the hell's going on in this town? You have no power? Well, we can't have power because there's nobody to fix the generator. Well, where's the dude who's supposed to fix the generator? Oh, he's hiding at home from you. They took a a quick assessment and said, all we have to do, we we don't have to kill tons of people for this. All we have to do is get the power back on and give some of these police officers and soldiers some pocket money. And that's what they did. They would go into a town and say, all right, all you people, you got to go back to work. And if you and if you don't go back to work, then out come the guns and the whatever, the beheadings, whatever we're going to do. So they got people to go back to work. They got power turned on. Water restored. And you had police officers and you had uh, lower level army people who hadn't been paid in months. They gave them some walking around money. That's all you got to do for everybody to say, fine, take over. We're fine with it. We don't, we have no interest in stopping you. In fact, we are kind of feeling like, and this is the key to why it was so easy for the Taliban to take over. We're kind of feeling like you'll actually be a better government than the supposed official government. The official government didn't govern. The Taliban this time, instead of massive violence, just went in and filled the vacuum of basic governance. There's some other things, too. There's a lot of corruption and stuff that we'll get into later in the show. But uh, right now, that's the main thing. I don't know if our people didn't realize that cops weren't getting paid and soldiers weren't getting paid and there were communities that had no electricity Uh, and all of that, or if they were so arrogant that they knew it, but they didn't think it would be a factor, when I think it turned out to be the single biggest factor 
in allowing this to happen. We have to talk about Haiti. Man, oh man, that country cannot catch a break. Uh, 7.2 magnitude earthquake happened on Saturday. It's killed almost 1,300 people. Probably about 6,000 at least have been injured. Homes, buildings destroyed. This is a country that still had not fully recovered from previous earthquake and a previous hurricane. And now there's a tropical, uh, I think right at this moment, it's a tropical depression. It was a tropical storm. It's back down a little bit to a tropical depression called Grace. And the problem here is even if it hits as a tropical depression, like if if there was a tropical depression headed towards uh, the coast of North Carolina, we'd report on it. But not with breathless, oh, my God, what's going to happen? It would be like, oh, yeah, they're going to have some rain. You know, it's going to be you're not going to probably want to go out for a while. The problem here is they already have this devastation from Saturday. So it doesn't take much in the way of wind or rain to make things exponentially worse. And uh, Haiti the thing with Haiti and earthquakes is they have been going through this problem for literally centuries. Do you know that in the 18th century, Port-au-Prince, that city was destroyed by an earthquake twice in 19 years? Yes. I mean, and, and imagine the technology back then or the building, you know, 1751... Boom. And another one within 19 years of that. There was another one in 1860. There was the one about, what, 10 years ago? 11 years ago? In 2010? Now this one. And it's because Haiti is at least as bad as Los Angeles in terms of fault lines and uh, tectonic plates. Because there's an island, Hispaniola, right? And it's sort of shared, right? Haiti shares it with the Dominican Republic. So it's right there, basically. And there are these two massive tectonic plates that come together right there. And that's where you're going to get a lot of earthquake action. Because you have the tectonic plates of the Earth's crust meeting... So that's a point of friction. And then there's a ton of fault lines going through those plates. And it doesn't just have one kind of fault line. It has every kind of different fault line that you could imagine. So you have you have some fault lines will cause the plates to smash into each other. Other fault lines there will cause the plates to slide across each other. You ever get a pebble stuck in the track of your window or your sliding door and you know how it won't, it just doesn't want to move? That's what goes on. And they have, it's like they have pebbles in every single track of every single sliding door, except it's tectonic plates and fault lines. 
You also have a very high population density there. Well, you got 11 million people in not that large of space. So seismically active, densely populated, and they built their buildings for hurricanes. Because that was that that was the bigger concern when they would build buildings is, oh, man, we got to hope they stand up to a hurricane. And you know what? They mostly have done a good job. Generally speaking, buildings in Haiti, certainly the, the, the modern built buildings in Haiti do OK in a hurricane. But the way you build a building to stand up to a hurricane makes it even more vulnerable to an earthquake. Right. Because if you have like you say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build a building out of concrete and cinder blocks. And then the hurricane's going to come through and the building's just going to go. I barely feel you. But those are exactly the kinds of buildings that just collapse when the ground starts shaking. And that's assuming everything is built perfectly. And like Anywhere, like we saw in Florida, in those condo towers, you know, sometimes things aren't built 100% up to snuff. So that is why they're so vulnerable to earthquakes over there. And uh, you say, well, why don't they just start retrofitting for earthquakes and when they build new buildings, you know, make them earthquake resistant. Well, they don't have a really good centralized governmental oversight for making that happen. So we'll continue to watch, you know, because the death toll will probably go up and the number injured and they're going to need so much help. They already, I mean, here's the deal. On Friday, you very well could have said about Haiti, that's a country that still needs a lot of help because of what they've been through already years before. And then Saturday came. Jennifer Jones, Lee, I understand the situation at the airport in Afghanistan and Kabul has turned deadly. Yeah, we've heard from a senior U.S. military official now who says seven people died in the chaos at the airport in Kabul. You've been seeing all the pictures of that like big transport plane trying to take off. There were people hanging off of the side of the plane. They were just grabbing onto it anywhere they could. We understand of the seven people who died at the airport, some of them did fall from that American military transport jet. Because it's completely out of control, which is why now uh, American forces have taken control of that airport. And you know what they're doing? A couple of things. One, they're putting up blockades around the airport to try to slow the influx of people who are rushing to the airport to try to get out of the country. And you know what else they're doing? At the airport, they're firing into the air to try to stop people from rushing out onto the tarmac. That's when you know you have a situation that's completely out of control. I'm not blaming them. I'm not not criticizing it or blaming them. I'm saying that's how frenzied it is that people are just rushing out dangerously. As we know, no, because people have died. So there they are in the air to try to just keep them back. I know they said that some people fell and we saw them clinging to the side of the plane. I was surprised that they didn't get run over. 
Well, that's they another concern. They were dangerously close to the wheels of yeah. this. Yeah. Well, that's why they wanted to stop rushing out there. I mean, they, they, they've, they've had to like massively clamp down on the whole thing. How many people are getting to the airport at a time? Once they're there, what are they doing? And it just and it'll it'll get more orderly. I bet you by the end of the day we'll hear about it's more orderly. And the Americans who were there are being told, don't even come over here right. until you get an email saying there's a spot for you on a plane that is leaving soon. Then you can come over here. <sighs> hey, Homeland Security wants to look at your Instagram. And I don't know your WhatsApp, maybe your Telegram, your encrypted Telegram channel, but they can't do it all by themselves. So they are considering hiring outside companies to analyze social media. This is at the at this point, this is something they're just pondering. There's been no approval for this. There's been no funding for it. But it is the result of what they believe was a failure of intelligence before the January 6th situation at the Capitol. And they would prefer not to have something like that happen again. And uh, they've decided that uh, all these social media channels are an excellent source of kind of meta chatter. I'm going to call it meta chatter. Where you can identify trends in terms of what people are talking about. It doesn't look like... They're they're going to focus with laser precision on this guy or that guy. And in fact, you know, people talk about, oh, it's Big Brother in this country. It's a surveillance state and all of that. But you know what? We have a lot more protections in this country than in most countries about when and how the government can access even things that are nominally public, like your social media feeds. Do you know that the FBI... Uh, before they can go digging through like your Google history and all of this stuff, they they have to get a warrant. Go see what they have to do in China if they want to take a look at your Google history. Like, who do they have to ask? Nobody. Well, in any event, so what would happen here is they would hire some outside companies, and there are outside companies whose business is sucking in mass amounts of social media data and then running it through uh, AI and looking for trends. One company is called Logically. Logically, I love corporate speak. You want to know what they do according to corporate speak? They use artificial intelligence and human analysts to monitor online content at scale, seeking trends around misinformation. So they look for trends in fake stuff that's being said. So I guess the way this would work, if it happens, is uh, these companies would get big, fat government contracts. They would suck up all of this information. It would be vague. It would sort of be generalized and anonymized. And then they would report to Homeland Security trends that would give Homeland Security the ability to anticipate and maybe plan for... Uh, large-scale disruptions like we saw on January 6th. Most privacy experts seem to not be into this happening right now. All right. There's a big difference, too. I mean, I think legally and morally and everything, there's a big difference between somebody just pulling up your public Instagram and looking 
and a company going into joining um, joining an encrypted chat channel in order to monitor what's going on. In fact, the government is pretty limited in when they can do something like that, but the private sector, not so much, which is probably one of the reasons why they want to bring in the private sector because the private sector will have a lot more leeway. Hey, some businesses are really trying to beef up the compensation to get people to come to work. You know, we have a lot of uh, jobs available in this country. Wasn't it last week? Wasn't it just they said we have over 10 million open jobs, Jen? Yeah. So I want to talk just for a minute about this restaurant up in Carmel, Cultura Comida y Bebida. And I don't have no connection to them. I'm not bringing it up because I know them. I'm bringing it up because there was an article about what they've had to do because it's so hard to hire people. So the first thing is they had to get rid of lunch service. Now they're looking at possibly having to get rid of one night of dinner service because they got to get kitchen staff. So here's the thing they did. They opened up a community-wide referral bonus program. Anybody who introduces them to anybody that they hire gets a $200 gift card. And the person that they hire also gets a $200 gift card. They have their hostess people, hosts and hostesses, and the servers volunteering to help out in the kitchen. Their head chef's parents, who are retired, came in to help make, because they make the handmade tortillas there. The chef got his parents to get out of retirement and come in and help out in the kitchen. The owners have not drawn a paycheck in over a year. But it's the $200 gift card, and also they did raise the wages by 20%. And that's just two things that are happening as businesses try to get people to choose them. When you have that many open jobs, it does become kind of the equivalent of a, of a beauty contest or a beauty pageant. Pick me, pick me, come work for me. I don't know. There's another company that does the same thing right over there, and they want me too. And it's uh, kind of a boon for workers. It, it depends on what industry you're in, how big of a boon it is. If you're in the leisure or hospitality sector, it is a boon right now. Wages are going up faster than overall wages are going up. And companies are getting very creative to try to attract and retain their employees. Now, there's a person named, this is their name, Rain Free. Rain as in like rule, I reign over my domain. Rain Free, the founder and CEO of Red Door Catering, has 15 open jobs. She already provides, this is a catering company where the staff has health benefits, vision, dental, unlimited time off, free lunch every day. She's looking at adding mental health coverage and even having a yoga instructor come once a week for free yoga classes. There's a guy that owns a chain of salons. 
And what he did is he raised prices and then turned that over to the stylist. Basically, I'm raising prices and all of that price increase I'm turning into more compensation for the stylist and also started a program where the stylist can buy into partial ownership of this chain of salons. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Also, started up a 401k program. That's something a lot of employers are doing. They're starting to offer these retirement plans when they didn't before. A lot of employers are now saying, all right, make your own work week. You want to work a 410? You want to have a half day on Friday? Go ahead. Here's another thing some companies are doing to try to attract people. Paid volunteer hours. That's pretty cool. If you have a kid in school, maybe you'd like to go volunteer at your kid's school. Uh, I don't know, a couple hours a week, a couple hours a month. Imagine being able to do it and get paid still by your employer for doing that. That's pretty sweet. Signing bonuses. There's a restaurant in Santa Barbara. I've never been inside. I've never gone inside. It's a very fancy restaurant. But I've walked by it a lot on State Street, Bouchon. And the owner of Bouchon said he started giving a hiring bonus, a signing bonus for new employees. It was $100. Then he bumped it up to $250. Then he bumped it up to $500. And apparently right now, if you're a line cook and you will come work at Bouchon in Santa Barbara, you will get a $1,000 signing bonus. So if you're in the right industry right now, it, it, it's it's your time to shine, baby, because the employers are lining up like, uh, I don't know, like the suitors lining up at the castle to marry the king's daughter. I have two pieces of uh, breaking news. One more breaking than the other for you. This one first, that President Biden uh, plans to return to the White House Today, he's at Camp David right now. He's going to make remarks on Afghanistan at 1245 our time. And then second, guess who is congratulating uh, the Taliban? Congratulating the Taliban. Congratulating. Look, I'm just going to go with what my gut said. I feel bad that this is what my gut said. Uh, But um, Donald Trump? No, the Taliban. Oh, the Taliban is congratulating the Taliban. Uh, it, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hamas is congratulating. Oh, Hamas. Hamas is. Oh, well, sorry. I got see? my terrorist groups confused. You got to look at who you run with. Hamas right? welcomed the defeat of the American occupation yeah. on all Afghan land and praised what it said was the Taliban's courageous leadership on this victory, which was the culmination of a long struggle over the past 20 years. Well, I'll tell you what, man. Uh, Nine o'clock. We'll talk about why, in fact. 
man, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Hamas is right. In this sense, the Taliban has shown much greater leadership than the government of Afghanistan did. And before you get mad at me and say I'm on the Taliban side, I'm not on the Taliban side, I hate the Taliban. We could have just gone in there and killed every single one of them and said the next time we see any Taliban, you're immediately dead. And that's the way it's going to be from now on in this country. But we didn't do that. But wait, just give me a chance at 9 o'clock to explain why <laughs> the Taliban has shown better leadership than the government of Afghanistan that you know we were propping up with our billions of dollars. It won't be the people who agree with you. It's going to be all the haters at 9 o'clock who are like, let's Whatever, see what you I don't have care. to say. As long as you're there. Easy money is what scammers all over the globe called this country's COVID unemployment benefit system. Now, we already knew you had prisoners who were filing claims and getting whatever. You had people in the community around here using the identity of prisoners to file false claims and getting paid. We knew that. We, we knew that millions and millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars were taken out of the expanded unemployment benefits by fraudsters here. But now we're finding out it was all over the world targeting this country and that system. The estimates, I love this. There is a credible range of estimates now about how much of the COVID unemployment benefits were stolen by scammers. The low end... $87 million. That is way too low. We know it's too low. The upper end. And this is the estimate that most of the people in law enforcement agree with. Are you ready? There was $900 billion of pandemic-related unemployment relief offered. The high-end credible estimate... Of how much was stolen through fraud, $400 billion, almost half. And of that amount, at least half of it went to criminals in other countries. Now look, man, I say defraud American. If, you're go- if, if our tax money's going to be ripped off, I want it ripped off by an American. And not an Australian. Australia, one of the many, many, many countries from which this kind of fraud was instigated. In fact, and I'll be honest, I forget how many countries there are in the world. It's like 180-something. I don't know. But over 100 separate countries have been identified as having scams against this country's unemployment system originate there. That is unbelievable amount of money. It's Russia, China, people from Nigeria and Spain. And I could go on. I could name, I'd have to name over a hundred countries. Um, and I and I mentioned Nigeria specifically just because one of the most high profile instances of this fraud is a guy who is a state government official in Nigeria. And they got a warrant and they arrested this guy at JFK airport. He was going back to Nigeria and they did a search warrant 
and they found everything that you need to commit and to prove massive fraud in unemployment benefits from this country. Bank account numbers, credit card, tax information from Americans, money transferred, emails with the claims, all of it. This guy made false unemployment claims in seven different states. Several hundred thousand dollars, just this one guy. Abedimi Rufai, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing your name right. Now, he is in jail in Washington state. He's pleaded not guilty to five counts of wire fraud. But that guy's a drop in the bucket. The bottom line is many in law enforcement, including the guy who is the director of the Office of Investigations with the Secret Service, Jeremy Sheridan, he said it's the largest fraud scheme he has ever encountered. There are people in the FBI saying the same thing. Man, oh, man. (laughs) Because basically we're just giving away free money. And I know I'm running slightly late, but let me put a button on it. One of the reasons it was so easy for people from all over the world to submit claims and get payments. Because they added unemployment benefits for contractors and gig workers and allowed those claims to be retroactive. What's the problem? You can't get employer verification for those kinds of jobs. I was an Uber driver. I was a DoorDash delivery person. I was some other kind of contractor. And it's it's very difficult to get employer, or impossible in some cases, to get employer verification. So people were spamming with unemployment requests. There was It was built in that you didn't have to have And the states didn't have to seek employer verification. The money was just given for the asking. Nice job, everybody. At 1245 today, Pacific time, President Joe Biden will address the world. It will be remarks about what's going on in Afghanistan. We will have that for you live right here on KFI with... The uh, expert uh, analysis that you will get from KFI, depending on what he says, unless he says something, if he says something really stupid, that'll be fun. If he says something poignant and moving, that'll be fun, too. And the situation in Afghanistan is such a mess. It didn't have to be like this. And uh, one of the things I want to address a little bit is that depending on how you look at things, the real problem And the real flaw in our planning for this drawdown of troops is that we didn't understand that the Taliban was possibly a better government for the people of Afghanistan than the government of Afghanistan that we've been trying to prop up all these years. Now, that seems outrageous because the Taliban, you think of the Taliban And you think of, like, people put in cages and drowned and women, you know, being rounded up and not allowed to drive and not allowed to go to school and all that stuff. But here's the thing. When I I say the Taliban may be a better government for the people of Afghanistan, I'm talking about the following people of Afghanistan. I'm talking about the people who live out away from the big cities in these little villages I'm also talking about 
the police officers who work in those areas and the military people who work in those areas. Because the fact of the matter is one of the reasons that all those provincial governments just folded is because they made deals with the Taliban to do so. Many of them were bribed to simply turn over power to the Taliban. Because in those parts of the country, the government, such as it was, wasn't working. Because people weren't going to their jobs. I'm talking about the people who are supposed to maintain the power grid, such as they have, you know, they have some generators that are wired to people's houses, the water systems, all all of the things, the basic things of governance. Those people were all hiding at home. They weren't doing their jobs. And the excuse was, oh, the U.S. is getting out now. We're afraid of the Taliban. I'm just going to hide in my house. I'm not going to go to work. So the Taliban would show up and they've made a deal with, say, the governor of the province or the mayor of the town. And one of the first things that the Taliban did when they would go into a town is they'd go around, round up all the people who were supposed to be at work and make them go to work. Let's get the power back on. Let's get the water system working again. Let's get this garbage cleaned up. That was played out time and time again across the country of Afghanistan. And it's a real it's a real window into how dysfunctional the whole place was. And you know what I think is going on there and this is just my sense of things. This idea that you have a country that is yearning for a uh, Western kind of democracy and a more what we consider to be a modernized view of religion and the role of religion in a, in a secular society and all of that. The view that you had a country full of people thirsting for that was based on an elitist view of things. Well, we wouldn't want to live under a theocracy like that. We like freedom and democracy. And then, so they must, you know, everybody must be just like us. And also that in Kabul, Kabul is very different than most of the rest of that country. That's where you have the intellectuals and the professors and the uh, the elites. And I think that we drastically misjudged the country, which is crazy because we've had the two decades we've been there, and then all the decades before that, when other world powers tried to go in there and do something about it, and stubbornly insisting that, of course, the people would prefer to be more like us, the governments would prefer to act more like us, the police forces, the military, they're all going to be 100% in. And I just don't know that that's true. And then when you pile on the ineffectiveness of the government that we were propping up, the fact that these police officers and these lower-level military soldiers, which are the people that you need, those are the people you really, really need to be committed to the task, they weren't even getting paid. Some of these people hadn't been paid for months. And the Taliban goes in and goes, hey, what's going on? Well, I've been paid for months. Oh, well, here's some money. You think now that soldier or that police officer is going to stand in the way of the Taliban?
course they're not going to. Afghanistan has some very good special forces units, but they can't do everything by themselves. And you know what was happening? The special forces unit, with uh, along with sort of regular military grunts, they take on the Taliban. And the grunts would fold immediately, and then the special forces are like, oh my God, it's just us now. And we can't carry all of this on our shoulders. So there was a failure of basic governance at almost every level, and also a real a misunderstanding of what the overall tone and attitude is in that country. We thought we had way more buy-in than we did, and I guess we thought that the government was doing a better job than they really were doing. And that's our own arrogance. Well, we're there. We're the United States. We're giving them money. We're giving them arms. We're giving them training. Of course they're going to be great. Not necessarily. And that's what we've seen happen now. So basically the entire country is under Taliban control. The Taliban is in the presidential palace. And what happens next is anybody's guess. Although if you've been paying attention to the Taliban over the years, it's not going to be a big guess. Well, the bill is in. The Tokyo Olympics have ended. There was a big flap doodle over a um, photos and videos of a guy just walking down the street in one of the popular shopping districts in Tokyo, the Ginza district. And why would a photo or a video of a guy walking down the street be so controversial? Well, the guy... Everybody believes that the guy walking down the street is Thomas Bach, the president of the International Olympic Committee. The International Olympic Committee is not in favor these days because they're the only people who make any money from Olympics anymore. And uh, the Olympics in Japan, as you know, were particularly fraught with problems being delayed a year then being closed to um, international travelers and to spectators. And then here's this guy from the IOC. The IOC pushed very hard against those who wanted the games to be canceled. And the IOC is going to make a lot of money from these Tokyo Olympics. But uh, Japan is not going to make any money from these Olympics. So to see him walking down the street, people were like, you jerk, you represent everything that's wrong about how the Olympics are run these days. I mean, it's expensive to host an Olympics no matter how well you do it. In 1984, I'm sorry, it, yeah, hold on. Something's wrong with this computer. When L.A. hosted the Olympics... Uh, it made money. In fact, it made, I was surprised how much money it made. I knew it made money. I didn't know how much money it made. And I wanted to get the figures on this. And I now have them. And the fact of the matter is that the Olympics in 1984 in Los Angeles cost $546 million to put on. And guess how much of that they made for in profit? $232.5 million. That is an amazing profit margin for any endeavor. 
And also, those Olympics were the first Olympics to really use technology. You know, the previous uh, Olympics that were in North America was in Montreal. And that was in 76. And they would throw the discus, and then somebody would have to get a tape measure to measure how far the discus was thrown. Like, it was old school. And by 84, because Peter Uberoth, who ran those Olympics, made integrating technology a priority, it was like the Olympics really for the first time coming into the modern world. But that's the last time that Olympics made money. And, and also the only time, except for the other time that L.A. hosted the Olympics. Most of the time, you lose a lot of money. So in Japan... They're still not sure exactly what it cost. They're conservative estimates that it cost $15.5 billion. Now, there's government auditors in Japan who are saying, no, it's probably closer to $25 billion. $15.5 billion is kind of on par with what we've seen lately. Rio de Janeiro, 2016, that was $13.7 billion. 2012 in London was $15 billion. The last Olympics that stayed within budget was 1960 in Rome. Ever since then, every, every Olympics goes over budget. Even the 84 LA Olympics, it, they ended up spending more than they originally planned to. Didn't matter because they walked away with a hefty profit. But you can see how it's, one of, it's, it's like a road projects. Oh, yeah, we're going to need a billion dollars to widen this freeway. And by the time that freeway is widened, it costs $2 billion. Well, the Olympics are kind of like that. So here's the problem. How is this going to get paid for? The taxpayers of Japan are going to have to pay for all of that. They're already, because they couldn't make the money that they thought they'd make. They thought they were going to take in like uh, $800 million in uh, tourism money. They did get a lot of sponsorships, about $3 billion in sponsorships, although they're not going to get all of that because, for example, remember Toyota said, never mind, we're not going to run all the ads we were going to run. So the bottom line is they're talking about having to levy special taxes or some kind of bond issues or other forms of borrowing on the backs of the taxpayers over there. I mean, the whole system really has become something that nobody wants to get involved in. Although that, that has been true for a while. You know, when, when L.A. got the Olympics for 84, there weren't that many cities that bid for it then. And here we are, you fast forward, and we have them now in, uh, is it 2028 we're getting them again? And it was kind of the same thing. There were very few cities who even tried to get Olympics anymore. And if you think there's something so special about Los Angeles that when we host the Olympics again, we will make money, I got news for you. I don't see it happening. We have a huge advantage over all these other cities in that we already have all the infrastructure. We don't have to spend billions of dollars building stadiums and arenas. We have everything. We have SoFi and we have the Coliseum. And even, let's say, for bicycling, we already have a a velodrome out in the valley. We have plenty of pools. We have plenty of gymnastic sites. So we don't have to invest all of that. However, the bottom line is this. The governance in the city of L.A. and the state of California is radically different now 
than it was in 1984. And because of that, there's no way they're going to be able to pull off an Olympics and walk away with a profit. It's not going to happen. And uh, the people in Tokyo, they are basically left holding a pretty expensive bag for an Olympics that was not very satisfying for them in terms of being a host city. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.